0: Okay, so this will be the first podcast, I believe, in a a series that uh, will be named later in the future. I'm thinking it's going to be called something along the line of Formula One Philosophy or Formula Therapy or something along those lines, because this is what this is going to be for me going forward. I don't think, uh, I think there's already a lot of Formula 1 content out there, maybe not as much as I may think, but I'd like to add to the discussion, because I feel that a lot of the sides that aren't being seen are just sort of overlooked for political purposes, I think they're overlooked for uh, just inherent biases in the Formula 1 community, and I want to have a voice saying the things that nobody really talks about, and today's going to be one of those topics, and that... It's probably talked about a lot already, but it's not talked about as much as as it probably should be, or it's not really talked about in in the avenue that I'm going to talk about today. And that discussion is about Mick Schumacher's Formula One career. And a lot of people look at it in the sense that uh, he was given too much of a chance. He was given too much of uh, of an opportunity because of his name, that he didn't really have any talent. And that he was put in the place he was put because of his of his father's name. And there's and there's some aspects to that. I think I think that you can look at it in the sense that he was very a very popular driver when in his first year, and a lot of people started watching Formula One again because of him. Even though he was sitting at the back of the grid every day and coming either last or second last, depending on if Nikita Mazepin had crashed into the wall or not, and. and and yeah so you you can look at it in that sense in in one aspect that he was he was put in a position that he didn't necessarily deserve and i i thoroughly disagree with that that he was formula 3 and formula 2 champion leading up into the years that he that he started leading up into 2021 and uh my future colleague will probably say that in, because he was driving for prema in those divisions prema is very fast prema is a very good team in the lower divisions that he had a great car and it took him it took him a couple of years to to get to the point where he was champion and that he's a slow starter and yeah yeah there's something there's something to that especially in modern day formula 1 and I'm probably going to talk about in other episodes as as to what the formula 1 community really really wants these days and they and I won't get into it much now but I I think the way they're scouting young kids these days young talent young young teenagers i I, th- I think they're completely off and i think they missed the bag with Mick Schumacher i think if you look at michael's career it's very slim, similar to what mick did it's kind of the inverse now, now that mick is for the 2024 season going to be in in sport in uh, endurance racing or sports cars like his father was To begin, I think it was 1988-89, he started for Mercedes sports cars, and then he, at some point after that, went to F3. And then he jumped straight to Jordan in 91 and qualified a a seventh place and then DNF'd his first race, and that gave Flavio Briatore uh, uh, all, all all the auditioning he needed to see that Michael could be a future champion there. And you could say that that was probably premature, but that is ultimately the difference between Mick and Michael's career is that they both are now have similar aspects to their career, whereas whereas Mick went Formula 3, F2, Formula 1, and then now back to sports cars. Michael went sports cars, Formula 3, and then F1 and never looked back. The difference was that Mick was never given the platform, I think, to succeed. I think, I don't think they really wanted him to succeed. I think they, they kind of wanted him to fail, and I'm going to get into that into discussion today. They kind of wanted him to lose. They would have loved to have seen him fail at every step of the way because I think I think if you look at his career, his crashes were him testing his limits. His crashes were him learning in his first two years. If you look at Michael... In the 91 season, he starts at Jordan at Belgium. There's only like three or four more races left. Comes in, I think it was sixth, fifth, sixth, or something, his next few races, which is small points in 1991, which is like the edge of the points. So it's nothing crazy. At a time where only, well, regularly, 28 cars would start and 10 would finish. So Michael was not doing anything too out of the ordinary. His car was pretty good for what it was. And he got in the fringes of the points his first year. And then if you look at the the last race in Japan in 91, Michael crashes in qualifying and damages half of his car. Which is, if everybody remembers, that happened to Mick in Saudi Arabia. It did happen again in the race in Monaco, which Mick seems to have, have in the two years that he was there, he had a little bit of trouble with Monaco, whereas his father became somewhat of a master of Monaco. Not a, not a Senna-like master of Monaco, but still someone who won won the race five times in his career. And but you can also say too, Michael, I think it was ninety six he crashed in the lead. First lap. Crashes into the wall. And there was a few other races in in Monaco that he that he crashed too. And so it happens. Like uh, but but I'm getting off the topic a little bit because but the point I was trying to make is that Michael crashes, 91, damages the first half of his car, front half of his car or back half of his car in qualifying in Suzuka. It's a pretty bad crash. Could have died from it. But instead of being told off in public and told that he's a loser and told that he's never going to make it, where Gunther didn't directly do that, Gunther Steiner didn't directly do that, but you can see in the drive to survive from the 2022 season that Gunther Steiner was talking bad about Mick to everyone who would listen, but just tried to make sure it wasn't on the record and And that's the difference is right there i think I think Mick's confidence was zapped throughout that twenty twenty two season whereas Michael did the same type of crashes ninety two of course couple crashes he gets his first win in spa, which was his he was the real master of spa. I, I recently looked at his uh his driving record at spa and then I think he drove there fifteen seasons and he won that race easily eight times and a few of them like 94 he was disqualified when he won the race there 90 93 or 92 he finished yeah 93 he finished second um and then i think in 2005 and 2006 it wasn't there 2005 or 2006 it, belgium wasn't in the course in the in the in the calendar so that's pretty amazing. If you think about it, but more than half the races he raced in Belgium he won them. Not many people have that record at any course except for Senna at Monaco. But I'm getting off topic again, obviously. Because this discussion is is all over the place, but Mick Mick was immediately pushed down at every every step of the way. I think like the, like I've noticed in the a lot of the the articles as of late talk, when talking about Mick Schumacher, they say, Well he felt impressed, especially his first season where he got no points. And it's like he was in a car that was two or three seconds slower than the lead on any given day. They usually finished one or two laps down, barely qualified as a like barely qualified anywhere near the Williams. They were usually a second slower than the Williams, which is their next uh, competitor. And it was two rookies. It was two rookies driving that car. Like, of, like of course, they was never gonna get points in in a, a twenty twenty car. That was put in twenty twenty one, and they basically said, okay, we're putting all our development in twenty twenty two because we have no money. So we're just gonna we're just gonna sort of just be there for the twenty twenty one season. Don't fuck it up too much. And if you look at it, he finished a lot of races. I think it was like he finished seventeen or eighteen races out of twenty one or twenty two. Which for rookie, that's not bad. That's not bad considering your car is terrible. And in a sense, he was given a little bit of uh, of encouragement because compared to Mazepin, he was a lot better. It's They circled back to shit on his 2021 career. But in 2022, he crashes in qualifying, damages the car pretty badly in the second race of the season. In his second race where he's He's trying to establish himself as someone who can compete with an experienced driver, Kevin Magnussen, who had been there, I think, uh, that was his eighth or seventh or eighth season already. And and plus he five of those seasons already at Haas, which is a a tough car to drive for anybody. And not too many people can do it. They constantly need experienced drivers who can just barely bring the car home. That's their goal because the car is so poorly designed, so hard to drive, has an unreliable Ferrari engine. They can never seem to figure it out, no matter how many engineers they go through. And, and so, to, to, like in his second real race, like his second actual competitive race, because he wasn't competitive in 2021, he could never be competitive. He crashes. He, like the nerves get to him. He tests his limits, he finds his limits. When dealing with Michael, Benetton said, okay, get back out there. No harm, it happens. We believe in you. Because Benetton could have turned around after he destroys a car in qualifying with no one around him and said, okay, get the hell out. We're a, small, we're a small team back then. They were a very small team back then. They didn't have that much money. They were fourth or fifth in the constructors, I think, when he came in. They were nothing special. They weren't, they weren't necessarily going to start competing for for the driver's championship or even the constructors for that matter. And it took him three years from that point to get anywhere near winning the next two seasons like the 92 ninety three season it, it, like it was a miracle that he came third in the points and won I think ninety two it was a miracle and that's why they said, oh this kid has all this promise he has a race win already and and yeah but but he was given the leeway to do that and granted I think Michael would was always going to be better than Mick. Personally I didn't I didn't see much out of Mick in this first uh, two seasons. He did do some good races. His defense in Austria and uh, Hamilton in the sprint race, his defense against Russell in the same car, two decent drivers. He showed some promise throughout the year. He showed some good qualifying. He may have not have scored in the points as many times as Magnussen. But Magnussen was riding the luck of a good year. I think the first race just really kickstarted him. And he just carried the, that into the first few races, but after it was after which race? I think it was Imola. Magnussen, I think only or sorry, no, it was it was after Austria that he only finished in the points two more times in the second half of the season. He was supposedly having the best season anyone could ever ask for in that Haas. Whereas Mick didn't finish in the points again after after Austria, some of it was due to the team strategy. But he, he wasn't he wasn't necessarily worse than Magnuson. He was actually, if you look at the results in the qualifying in the second half of the season, was way better. Magnuson just rode the luck of the that fluke pole in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, but then completely useless in that sprint in, in nineteen laps. He loses seven places. Where's the defense? Where's the attack? Where's the driving ability? If that was Mick, they would have shit all over him. But no, instead he gets a an accidental pull because it rains, nobody gets a lap time in but him, and he's a hero or something. And I think you see you saw in the twenty twenty three season, with no luck, he couldn't he couldn't dig himself out of a hole. So You're going to, why, why is he continuously giving every chance in formula one? Even after like all the, all the drivers throughout the paddock over the years have despised Magnuson. He's an actual terrible driver. He has no work ethic. He's never improved a car he's on. He got a second place in his first ever race. And you think, oh wow, this kid has great potential and then does nothing but get worse and worse and worse. But why is he afforded every chance? Why is he given every confidence? The only reason I think Steiner didn't keep him in the 2021 season, him and Grosjean, two very overrated drivers. Grosjean better than Magnussen. And obviously Steiner hates Grosjean more because Grosjean had aspirations and dreams and belief in himself. and that's, in, that's That can't be allowed in Haas, and I'm about to get into that. But the only reason I think he, he kept him is because he couldn't afford to keep him. <laughs> And Haas would have kept getting worse and worse and worse and more bankrupt. Could you imagine Grosjean and Magnussen in that 2022 car? Magnussen ended up only getting, what was it, 26 points. Grosjean may have gotten something similar, but there would have been no exceptional races. Especially if their confidence was depleted in the 2021 season. They might have done slightly better than Mick being there, slightly, being there an extra five, six years. Whereas Mick was only in the second year of Formula 1 trying to develop and given no confidence. And it's easy to blame Haas for that. But I don't think it was Haas. Ultimately, they made the final decision. Ultimately, I think Steiner hates aspirational people. I think he hates people who have aspirations of, of greatness. I think he hates... Anyone who believes in himself, as you can tell over the years. (laughs) But ultimately, I think this this goes down to Ferrari. Because uh, you saw at the end of the 2022 season, what happened? Haas says, okay, we're going to bring in Nico Hülkenberg, which I'm going to get into in another episode, is the stupidest, was the stupidest mistake to ever made. And I said it then. I said, you're going to bring a guy... Who in a good, in a decent car, an above-average car, in the Renault, which was consistently fourth in the constructors, I think third in twenty twenty, when he after he left, uh, it was consistently in, in that position, like in, consistently could be in the top eight, and he finished seventh or eighth every race. Which, like, if you look at it, if there's eight good cars, the top four, you should finish anywhere from eighth to a podium every season, every race, right? Like, and instead he consistently finished seventh or eighth, which is the bottom, the bottom of his expectations, every every race in a decent car. Yeah, the Renault wasn't what it used to be, but it, it wasn't that bad. Someone with a little bit of racing ability, someone with a little bit of technical ability, someone with aspirations could have snuck a few podiums in the three or four seasons he was there. But he never did. And you look at his most consistent finishing place, it's seventh. The times he finished in sixth or sixth to fourth, I don't even think he finished fourth in that renault, but I'll have to look through his, his standings. But the times he did finish sixth to fourth, there was like a couple DNFs in front of him. So you're gonna you're gonna take a guy that's that bad, that's that Consistently bad. Yeah, he's consistent. He consistently finished in the point. Yeah, but like anyone can finish in the top ten with a good car. It's the it's the wins, it's the podiums that you want to expect at that point. Then he never got. And he said you're gonna take a guy who with a good car couldn't get into the top, could barely get into the top eight, sometimes even lower. And you're gonna put him into a car that's harder to drive, worse, more less, less reliable. And you're gonna say, okay, do better than Mick, who was doing it, who was learning and trying his best to finish in the top ten every race. Whereas Helkenberg had already been in the in the sport for about ten seasons. And three years off, too. Like I that's, I forgot to even mention that. Three years off. And you and you say, Okay, he's 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 just gonna do way better than Mick. And of course, he didn't. Obviously. I seem to be the only person who understood that. If you look at all the comments and and punditry, nobody had reservations about him going into Haas. None, maybe buried somewhere in paragraphs at the bottom of of articles. That um, people wonder: with three years off, is he going to be actually good? And he and he gets a seventh place in Australia that was awarded to him, not earned. He was about to finish about to finish tenth until Magnussen crashed and did him a huge favor. And and you hear the pundits right after that saying what and it was the absolutely best choice to get Hulkenberg in there and not Mick, because Mick would never have finished 7th in that race. First up, Mick finished 6th at Austria. Hulkenberg has never gotten a 6th in that house, so he did in a sprint, but that, to me that doesn't count. Get into how much I hate the sprint races in another episode. But yeah, he, and he finishes in the point points one race the entire season. And one sprint race, and people are like, oh, what's it's on the car is bad now, oh there's tire degradation. Like there was all there was problems with the Haas in twenty twenty two as well. It wasn't a perfect car. Magnussen had a few good races at the beginning and then disappeared again. Just like every time in his career. And Mick got consistently better than him towards the end. But like now but now Hülkenberg, and Magnuson fall apart last season and there's crickets and they get re-signed halfway through the season for failing. And it's just... They, they're given... They were... I bring this all up to, to point out that they were given every chance and they were encouraged every step of the way. Whereas Mick, the second he crashed in Saudi Arabia, there was doubts and you see between... Steiner and ha- and Jean Haas. Oh, he's in over his head. You need to settle him down. And Haas said. Jean uh, Haas said, it and then he goes, "You can't buy talent." Which, what the fuck does that mean? He's F three, F two champion. You guys are going nuts over Oscar Piastri, F three, F two champion, back to back, a little bit quicker than Mick. But like, like it's the same type of potential. But Piastri was told. Right away, you're amazing. Just go out there and be yourself. Didn't matter that the first half of the season he was pretty, he was, he was a rookie, he was an average rookie. Awarded an eighth in Australia when he was actually like 13th. And a 10th in Monaco. Oh, the car was bad. Yes, well, so so were mixed cars. <laughs> Worse than the McLaren. And when the McLaren got good, Piastri stepped up. And kudos to him, he's a good driver. And it remains to be seen what he will really be, and I'll, I'll talk about it in another episode as well. But so is Mick. So if everybody is encouraging Oscar Piastri to be himself, to be better in every race, to improve in every race, and just go out there and calm down, they say, well, he's very calm. Yeah. You can make drivers calm by telling them, we got your back, which is something they never did for Mick. Never, they never did that for him. They used him in 2021, Steiner says in Drive to Survive. We use them for, for, for uh, jersey sales or, or, or uh, merchandise. And Mazepin was there for, for sponsorship of the team. Don't say that about your, your young driver in your academy. It's in the Ferrari academy. Haas knows this. Ferrari knows this. Where was Ferrari smacking him upside the head saying, Shut up. We believe in this kid. We believe in the potential of this kid. Shut your mouth. That never happened, did it? Where was Ferrari saying, no matter what happens at Haas in the 2022 season, no matter what happens at Haas, you have a place here. We believe in you. Maybe you'll just be a reserve driver for a year. Like, a few drivers have been. Alex Albon, and Eskaban Alcón. Who else am I thinking of here? There's been a few of them that have taken years off. Magnus and Hülkenberg themselves. They came back and came back stronger. Where was that encouragement? No, they sit there and they waffle the whole year. They don't wade in on this. They say, this is hostage driver. They're going to take care of it. And the second Haas drops him, they drop him too. Which is disgusting. Which is absolutely fucking disgusting. What, what, did, what possessed you to do that to the son Of the guy who gave you everything. This is now the crux of my argument. This is uh, all that gibberish and garbage, and I've been going for almost twenty-four minutes. Was to get to this point and to say, the guy who gave you everything. His son wanted a career in Formula One. Believed in himself. Was went up through the ranks. F3, F2 champion. doesn't matter if it was quick or not. Because a lot of the drivers that have come through in the last few years didn't even win F2. Joe Gouin, you, I'm looking at you. Logan Sargent, I'm looking at you. Nicholas Latifi, I'm looking at you. Uh, there's way more. It's most of the grid. But those two especially who do not. And if, if they're given three years, Sargent given two years is fine to me. But Joe Guanyu given three years for doing nothing. Yeah, uh, don't don't start me about merchandise or sales. That's about with the Schumachers. The like Zhou Yu was there for the Chinese market and Chinese market alone. If the Chinese Grand Prix was held in 22 or 23, he probably would not have a seat this year. No doubt, Yuki Sinoda, That's another one too. Didn't win up two. Didn't exactly have a a good first two seasons. 2021, he was pretty good, but the AlfaTari was really good, and then got way worse in 2022. And way worse until 20, in 2023, right into the last few races, that saved his seat. He earned another year. Uh, Alpha Tauri, but this talk about him joining Red Bull for having a horrible first 16 races? Unacceptable. Coming 10th and 11th a bunch of times does not warrant you a seat at the greatest team in the world right now. But the point I was trying to make was that the guy who did everything for you, his son, deserved an F1 career under your platform. The guy who made your team, who kept your team from being, from being unable to win a driver's title from 1979 until now, the guy who did all of that, his son deserved as many chances as possible. The guy who gave up wins and titles by leaving Benetton and not going to, his, to your bitter rivals McLaren or Williams in the 90s, he could have easily and won every single year that he was there in the best car. If he was like Senna, if he was like Mansell, if he was like Prost, if he was like any of them, he would have searched for the best car and won. But he was something special. And he said, nobody can win with this Ferrari. 21 years. Well, at that point, it was only, it was only 16 or 17 years. That Ferrari hadn't won since Lauda. And he said, I, it's, not, it's not a challenge to me anymore to win easily at Benetton. I'm going to go to one of the crappiest run teams, poorly engineered teams, one of the most regal teams in a sense that it's F1 royalty it's a brand it's the, it's the biggest brand of formula 1 to help start formula 1 but can't win for shit cuz it's so dysfunctional so up its own ass so locked in old ways That i'm going to give up everything to go and help this team win i'm going to give up 5 years 96, 97, 98, 99, and finally the 50 or 2000 win. But I'm going to give up four titles that I could have easily won by going to Frank Williams in ninety at the end of 95 and saying, hey, I'll drive for you guys for 96, 97. Fuck Jockville, Villeneuve, fuck Damon Hill. I'm way better than Damon Hill. That's two titles right there. At the end of 97, he could have seen the improvement in the McLaren and said, hey, who's Mika Hakkinen? Who's David Coulthard? Take me. I'll win with you guys. And then he would have won all the way through 2002 there. Maybe stayed. Could have seen that Benetton was reforming as Renault and said, hey, I'll come back. And then all, won all the way through 2006 and retired. And he would have had 11, 12 titles. Maybe even stayed past 2006 because I was watching a, a video Last night, saying how Luca de Montoló or Montezola—I I don't know how you say his name—the new Ferrari uh, CTO, or that he will replace Sean Todt. Him and Michael's relationship wasn't exactly good. Michael might have stayed a few years later if he was—if he felt like he wanted to be there, because Luca de Montoló or, or whatever his name is signed Kimi Räikkönen behind Michael Schumacher's back. Said Kimmy's the future. Michael's almost done. And Michael essentially gave up his seat and retired, so that Felipe Massa could still have a career, someone he was grooming and being his protege. And and he, so he still did that for you too, in, in a sense, Ferrari. But he gave up everything, gave up a lot of titles, gave up a lot of wins. Can you imagine if he won? Ten races a season at Williams, McLaren, Renault, whoever was the great team at the time, Williams BMW. Who knows? He could have probably had one hundred and fifty wins himself. And and he gave up all that, to get your name back. He gave up everything, gave his time his career like you look at the Schumacher documentary they were testing days and months at a time in the offseason straight just to get that car up just to get that second and a half it was behind to catch up from the Williams from the McLaren Mercedes when he won in 2000 he was damn near perfect damn near perfect beyond perfect really Because that McLaren Mercedes was way ahead of that Ferrari. And that 2000 title, to me, that was the best season ever. Because you had this powerhouse of a team, and you had a great driver in Mika Hakkinen, and you had an excellent second driver in David Coulthard. Versus Michael. And yes, Ruben Sparichello did push them over the hump. But it was basically Michael. Perfect. And he came from behind when the Ferrari had reliability issues in the summer again. He breaks his leg because of the Ferrari brake failure in 99. Would have won that season too. Another another great example of how amazing Ferrari can be. Should have had a title. Should have even more. 2005-2006 were bullshit seasons in my opinion. They changed the rules to stop Ferrari in 2005. Slowed down their development and Michael came back... Within a year and was fighting for the title. Should have won both. If they just left development the way it was. But he gave up all that and was damn near perfect for you. For your brand name. And you repay him. When he's in a coma by destroying his son's career. That's what you did. He gave you. 10 years, more, considering preseason testing, all that development, 10 years of his life so that you weren't a bunch of losers for 40 years. What's Ferrari if they haven't won since 1979 right now? It's probably bankrupt or dissolved or leaves F1 because it's just hopeless. Williams was almost bankrupt and they haven't won since ninety seven. Williams was almost bankrupt in twenty three years from that point. Some of it was mismanagement, yes. But do the fan does the fan base, does Formula One give a shit about Ferrari? If they haven't won since nineteen seventy nine? No. No, nobody gives a shit about Williams. People are already, like, there's a lot of uh, of energy for McLaren these days. But as of 2016, which was 17 years since they won the title, McLaren was not in everybody's good books. Mismanaged, bad engine, they went to Honda engines, yeah. Same could have happened to Ferrari. Was the Ferrari engine always going to be good? Were the best engineers going to want to go to Ferrari when it hasn't won in how many years? Does Sebastian Vettel, who definitely put a Band-Aid over a lot of the bullshit, poor engineering issues that they that they encountered in 2014, and 2009 for that matter. Does Sebastian Vettel want to follow in the footsteps of his idol if Michael never goes to Ferrari? No. Vettel is the closest thing to Schumacher in the sense that he can go to a team and develop it better. If you look, look at the Austin Martin this year, that was all Vettel. And then Alonso steps into it and does some good races, but the development goes backwards the seconds he stepped in. And by mid-season, he says, first race, this is a wonderful car to drive by. I think it was Singapore. He says, this car is undrivable. That's you, buddy. That was you. I'll talk about what I my feelings of Fernando Alonso in another episode. But there's a lot that Ferrari owes to Michael Schumacher. A lot. The least you could have done, the least the absolute bare minimum was give him was give Mick 3 seasons. After all, Michael did for you, you give him 5 at least. And if he crashes the car in 21 of 22 races, you tell him to get back out there. You do whatever it takes to get his career going because he's the closest thing you have to someone. He's the literal descendant of the guy who gave you everything. Everything. And instead, you turn around and you badmouth his entire career. You don't stand by him. You let the press tear him apart. You stand by Kevin Magnuson. And you do it all while the guy who gave you everything is in a coma. Could you imagine if he was awake what he would have done? Ralph was pissed every race. Ralph. That's just his nephew. Ralph's own kids are trying to get into Formula One. But if Ralph was pissed, could you imagine what Michael would be? And he gave you everything. He gave you years of his life. But there was something... There was some bad blood there, wasn't there? Because the Schumacher name had become bigger than Ferrari. And I remember. Because the whole reason I watched Formula One was because of Michael Schumacher. My father loved him, and then when I started watching the races and falling in love with the the 90s driving where... Cars were a lot harder to drive. They were louder. They sounded great. There was refueling. There was tires with grooves. You could all choose your own types of tire uh, manufacturers. You could develop at your own speed. A lot of teams were just would do trial things, like flaps and wings and intakes that stuck up above the above the car. That some were, some were allowed to stay. Some were were declared illegal. It was just a great time. But it wasn't the Ferrari emblem that got me there. As much as I may have cheered for Ferrari, as much as I loved to see Ferrari win, even even as as soon as four or five years ago. Me and Sean, who you'll be intro- introduced to soon, we went to the Canadian Grand Prix in 2018. I tried my hardest not to cheer for Ferrari for Sean because it was his birthday, but Ferrari won, and I was, I was very happy to see Vettel win that race, dominate. But even still, I didn't keep watching Formula One for Ferrari. I don't give a shit about the Ferrari emblem. I don't care if they're Italy's national team. I do not give a shit. I cared about Michael Schumacher. And I think a lot of people who came up through that time and watched through that time felt the same way. That it was Michael. It was all about Michael. It wasn't about you, was it? It wasn't about Ferrari. And you couldn't stand that. You cared more about the Ferrari brand than you did winning. Who brought you winning, which was Ross Braun and Michael Schumacher. Jean Todt let them run wild. And they gave you everything. They gave you five straight titles, six straight constructors. And all you have to show, all you had to do in return, was give his son a career. And you couldn't do that, could you? Because there's some type of hatred there. There's something there. And this is my guess, this is my opinion, but there's something there that pissed you, pissed you off because he was bigger than you. And goddamn right he was. Because you couldn't win for shit until he came there. You couldn't do anything. Your car was so bad in 1992, you finished on the lead lap only thirteen of uh, three of the 16 races. Three races you finished on the lead lap. That's how bad your car was. This is one of the biggest teams in Formula 1, the richest teams in Formula 1, and you could only do that. And by the end of 95, you weren't much better. I don't, I think, I don't think Ferrari won a race in 93 or 94. I think they won one in 95 of a Lacey. Maybe one more, a couple more with Berger. But you were nothing without him. And all you had to do was encourage his son. Especially when he was in a coma. Especially help out that family after everything they did. Raikkonen doesn't win 2007 if not for Schumacher's development. Massa doesn't come close, and you don't win the constructors in 2008 if not for Michael. The residue, because we know the second the engineering changed, the regulations changed. 2009, you were useless. I didn't even know where he finished. Probably finished third or fourth. Who knows? Who cares? Did you even get a win that season? I don't think so. By 2010, you were sort of back near the top, but you still blew it. Alonso blew it. 2012, again, in the position of strength, 40 points ahead of Sebastian Vettel, you blew it again. No constructors. Yeah, the car wasn't as good as the Red Bull. But you threw it away. And the regulations changed again in 2014, and you're so far back that Vettel had to give up titles to come help you. And Vettel's time at Red Bull, I think, was done anyways. That's not the point. You're nothing without him. Nothing. The least you could have done was do, I do everything to get his son's career going. And it's not like his son was a quadriplegic with a booster seat that was crashing the car every single race. He crashed a few times made some mistakes in his rookie seasons in a bad car a bad team 10th place in 2023 eighth in 2022 when he was there is it all his fault no had something to do with your shitty technical director at Haas who should have been fired a million times I'm gonna start swearing on this podcast every race uh, every uh every episode because that seems to work right when you just you swear you get a job you don't deserve that you haven't earned, that you've gotten worse at over the years. You inherited a team with money that got into Formula One, that sent out a car that got 96 points, I think, in 2017, and went, got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse every year. Someone has to get fired at that point, and the head guy needs to get fired right away. Because I don't care if he's just engineering, he's terrible at engineering. I don't care if he's the lead, he's terrible at the lead. Whatever he is, he's not doing a good job. That idiot decided the future of the son of a seven world time champion. Well, F1 world champion. That idiot. What are you doing? Letting him decide the future of that kid. Let that kid figure it out for himself. Let that kid get better. And after three to five seasons, he still hasn't figured it out? Yeah, he's a bust. But you gave him two. One, if you really think about it. Because he couldn't compete in the first season. His car was so bad, nobody would have gotten points in that car. Unless it was a miracle. Unless it was a Hulkenberg-esque, everybody DNFs, and I barely finished seventh. And it wasn't a finished seventh. It was a tenth that was uh, turned into a seventh. After the Alpines crashed into each other in Australia. And that's his only points in a race. Only point. And there was an excellent article in Planet F1. When the chief engineer of Haas. Of the time he says you know working with Mick was great. He was very professional. We were learning a lot from his development. And I would rather have had him than Magnuson. Because I saw the potential. He says, there's something came from the top that told me to get rid of him, to burn him. That the order must have came from the top that said, we don't need him. And it's like, you're giving up on all that potential for nothing. For not a Lewis Hamilton to come drive at Haas. For not a Daniel Ricciardo to come drive at Haas. For not for a Sebastian Vettel to come drive at Haas for Nico Hulkenberg. What a disgrace. And if Michael Schumacher never won a title at Ferrari and was a bust there too, fine. The Schumacher name is overrated. No, he won five titles in a row for you. To the point where they changed the rules to stop him. Keep going back to that because it's important that he was winning that they were blaming ratings losses on him always winning, which was bullshit. They didn't like him. They didn't like seeing a non-British driver winning when there was a German dominating. He, was also, he beat McLaren on an English team. England was the fulcrum of, of viewership in the early late 90s, early 2000s. If there was no British market, there was no market. Now they, they focus so hard on the... Overseas market, the American market, that they don't really give a shit if there's British drivers winning. They prefer Lewis Hamilton or George Russell. Overrate both of them a little bit, and I think the the results of the last couple of seasons speak for themselves. But I I always bring that up because it's just important to understand that he was so good they had to they had to do artificially stop him. And now his son's coming up the ranks. It's very similar to his father, acting very similar to his father. His father crashes into Senna in 93, right before he wins the title next year. Mick crashes into Sebastian Vettel at Miami when he was in the points. Exact. If you look at them, ex- exact same crashes. Exact same crashes. Mick tries to take the inside. Michael tried to take the inside. They crashed and hit the side, knocking them both out. Knocked out Vettel, <laughs> knocked out Senna. Senna hated him because of that. Michael went on to finish the race. I think he even got a podium that race. Vettel was gone. It was a few laps left. But if Mick really got points in that race, if Mick just held on and held on to ninth, would he really have? Would he actually have had his seat? I don't think so. One less crash, a couple more points, would they have kept his seat? I don't think so. I think he was set up to fail. And after everything his father did for you, Ferrari, you're, you, you should be ashamed. Michael helped develop the Mercedes from 2010 to 2013. You talked to Braun, Ross Braun. He flat out says it. He says, we had no budget after 2009. They just got a lucky development in 2009. They figured out something that nobody else did, and they were the fastest car for only the first half of the season. And they barely held on for the driver's title. And the constructors, I think. Barely held on to both. Once all the teams caught up, Jensen Button was regularly finishing sixth or seventh. Most overrated champion ever, by the way. But Michael comes in, and that car, and that Mercedes is terrible. But because of his development, from his understanding of the cars, for his work with the engineers, within four years, they were champions and they never looked back. And Ross Braun says it. If he wasn't there, we would have never been what we would, what we were. Now I think that's overvaluing what Michael did, just a little bit. They figured out the regulations again before everybody else, but this time held on to it, and that had, that had something to do with Michael, but not that much. But they felt like they owed Mick. For one one-thousandth of what he did for Ferrari. He wasn't exactly a powerhouse at any point in time in that Mercedes. He had been out of the sport for three years. He was slower. He was worse reflexes. He couldn't figure out the DRS. The, the entire regulations had changed. He was completely. It was a completely different time. And he was almost 40 at that point. My partner of this podcast... Says like he should have never came back. He, he ruined his reputation. I disagree. Because he he was solidified his reputation as the best developer ever. Senna maybe have a better qualifying record. Senna maybe more lethal when he was dominant. But Michael could turn bad cards into gold, which Senna couldn't. That's one thing Senna will never have on Schumacher. But the Mercedes is giving Mick the platform to relaunch his career. Total Wolf is talking up Mick as much as he can. Total Wolf is letting him get back into racing in 2024 and the endurance. While keep his reserve seat. Total Wolf got him reserve driver at, at uh, Mercedes and McLaren last year. Total Wolf saved his career and even said, yeah, after everything Michael did for us, we always fill a special soft spot for him. Where was Ferrari applying that logic? Michael didn't do shit for Mercedes compared to what he did for Ferrari. What what is your problem, Ferrari? At least give him a third season. If you don't think he has that much in him, why not have him as reserve driver of Ferrari figuring out figuring things out like Piastri did at Malpine a year after F two and F three champions? Championships. It seemed to work pretty good for Piastri. Gets comfortable in the simulator, starts understanding the development of the car, starts working with the team, the engineers. Comes line his first season. Where was that logic by Ferrari? You spent all this money developing Charles Leclerc, who's clearly not going to bring you a championship. You spent all this money going out of your way for a loser like Carlos Sainz. Who's Nico Hulkenberg with the ability to get podiums and a wins and polls every now and then? But if you look at science, first five six years of his career wasn't wasn't anything. It was like fifth and sixes and sevenths all the time. Cool. No confidence, no belief in himself. What is it? Two wins and a Ferrari that in twenty twenty two was the fastest, and he struggled. Yeah, Singapore win in 2023 was great, but it wasn't. Like, that's one. That's one. A poland Monza it gives the Tifosi something to cheer about. Cool. Came third. Leclerc had to slow down to give it to him. You spend all this money developing these losers. But the blood of a champion who gave you everything is pushed aside? Where's the, where's the development in him? Where's the belief in him? Oh, he crashed too much. So did Charles Leclerc. How many crashes in the 2022 season cost the momentum? Imola, France. How many times is Charles Leclerc going to crash and say, I am stupid? Yeah. Mick never said that. Oh, it worried Steiner. Steiner's like, well, he he didn't show any remorse. Yeah, he's learning. He knows it's part of the process. Vettel crashed. Verstappen crashed. Michael crashed. Senna crashed. They all crashed. All the best ones crashed. They learned their limit. It was an interview with Valtteri Bottas, I think. I, I don't remember what year it was. He says, there's two types of drivers. And this is very astute. Two types of drivers. One They'll get in that car, drive it fast, get to the edge of the limit and recognize the limit and slow down. That person will be a good driver. Steady driver. But there's the other one that will push past the limit and crash. And it all depends from that point forward. Do Do they get back up and encourage themselves or do they get scared? And Haas was trying to scare Mick and just saying, okay, just finish in the top 10. Just get us points. But he was going for something more, and you could see. He was going to be like his father. He believes he can be like his father. You want that. And you want the crashes. And you want the development, which the chief engineer said. If this was some random kid, yeah, you don't need to give him a chance. He didn't give you what you wanted in the first two seasons, but this is the son of the guy who gave you everything. Everything you have. You constantly reflect back on those years, as years of greatness, yeah? His son's in F1 now. Give him a chance. I'm all in on Mick Schumacher now. Whereas I wasn't before. After seeing what's transpired the twenty twenty three, of all the all the articles that came out, all the things they said about him, I'm all in. I believe he has the potential to be great. I don't know if he'll ever be a champion, but he can at least be a race winner. He can at least have Ralph's career, in my opinion, and probably more. If he's given another chance. But it's not going to be through Ferrari. Can't be anymore. And you're going to look back at what could have been. And the only person to blame is not him for crashing, not Steiner, even though Steiner is, did his best and still failed at trying to destroy a career. Steiner can't even destroy a career properly. Can't guide a team up. He can make teams worse. Can't make them better. But he won't even be able to destroy Mick's career if Mix is given another chance. Because Total Wolf has his back now. They want to see him succeed. And you're gonna look back and think, why didn't we do the same? It's for selfish reasons. You wanted the Ferrari name bigger than the Schumacher name, and you know what? Sometimes you need to be it needs to be synonymous. It doesn't matter. It's the glory that comes in not the name who drove the car necessarily it's the glory that comes with it you knew that i cared about the name but i wasn't i wasn't that common i was probably more common than i thought but i wasn't that common but you only have 16 constructor titles compared to 10 and tied with mercedes because of him And it's going to be a long time now until you win another driver's title. It's pretty clear. You had the best car in 2022, and you threw it in the garbage. And now you're not getting it back. You're not getting back that title. You're not getting back the fastest car. Red Bull's way ahead of you in development. They got the best engineers. They got the best driver. Your only bet is to get that driver. Verstappen, it's your only chance you're going to win now. If he's going to have to put titles down to come help you win, just like Schumacher did. And he may not do it. I think he can, but he may not. Your only shot is to put all your money into him now because you threw the into the garbage, the son of the last guy who did it for you. And if I'm Mick, I never step foot anywhere near your shitty organization. And whoever told him to go drive for Haas and drive for Ferrari Junior made a big mistake because apparently the writing was on the wall between Ferrari and Michael a long time ago. I think Mick did it for nostalgia. I think he did it because he wanted to follow in his father's footsteps. But whoever told him to do that was wrong. And now it's clear to every driver coming up now, if you want to succeed, stay the fuck away from Ferrari. Unless you're not good enough. Charles Leclerc's not good enough. He's never going to be a champion. If you're not good enough, yeah, stick with Ferrari. They'll promote you for no reason. Just like they did Jean Alessi before him. Just like they did Fernando Alonso before that. Just like they did Sebastian Vettel, deserved it, but didn't win. If you're not good enough, they'll promote you. But if you are, they're going to destroy you. So Ferrari, it's been fun. But I will never cheer for you again for what you did. I'm all in on Mick. I'm no longer all in on you. It's clear you don't want to win. You want to be this hipster team that never wins, that's the lovable loser. Because if you actually wanted to win, Charles and Mick should have been your drivers, not Carlos. At the very least, you should have let Mick develop everywhere. Two years of Haas, yeah, not good enough. Kick somebody out and put him in Alfa Romeo. And then when Alfa Romeo dissolves, then you take him back to Ferrari. You give him every chance. doesn't matter what his results are. I know that's stupid for me to say. I think his results would have improved year over year, just like his father did. But even if they didn't, after what Michael did for you, you give him every chance. Every single chance in the book. That's the end of my rant on Mick Schumacher. He deserves to be an F1. And Ferrari, your days are numbered. If you keep up this management, it's just going to keep getting worse. I'm going to say what Total Wolf said to Gunther Steiner you would never be doing this if he was alive or not brain dead. You would have never acted this way. Total Wolf has mixed back. You don't. And they did one tenth. He did, Michael did one tenth for Mercedes. That he did for you. You did your best. At one thing, Ferrari. You did your best trying to destroy Mick's career. I don't think you succeeded, though. Only time will tell if you did. Okay, thank you. I'll see you in the next episode.